podcasting after a win. A wizard. Well, someone has to win. It's for podcasting after a wizard's win, though. 135-121. They just beat the Timberwolves at home on a day that was very big for the Wizards' playoff hopes. I'm towing the company line. <laughs> I'm Fred Katz. I cover the Wizards for The Athletic. And uh, I'm the host of Wizards After Dark. And I'm here with, uh, how many times have you been on? Four times? You know, I think I might be losing count. I think this is number four, but it could be number three. I don't know. I think it's Multiple. four. Multiple time guests. That's my favorite number, so if it's number four, it's going to be a good episode. Great. Chase, Chase Hughes from NBC Sports Washington. Uh, so quick numbers. Uh, Bobby Portis, big game, 26-12 and 12 in, in only 28 minutes. Bradley Beal's streak of scoring 25-plus points can do a halt at 10 games tonight. But... Scott Brooks said it might have been one of his best games of the year. Yeah, which I don't agree. Yes. <laughs> uh, I think Scott was just trying to make a point of how complete a player he was. But obviously he did. He certainly played well. He had 22, 7, and 8. But, I mean, the dude has had like a 40-point triple-double. Like, let's be real. Uh, Sato had 14 and 6. He, he played a nice game. Uh, Jabari Parker had one of his better games. His wizard had 22 off the bench. Where are we starting? Where are we starting with this one? I think we start with the fact that they've won two of three because they lost nine of 12, and somehow they're still in the race. If you lose nine of 12 in February, like, you should be done. Like, when you're at the Yeah, when you're, like, on the fringe. It should be done. But they still have a shot at making the playoffs, like, miraculously. There's 19 games left. They're probably going to have to win 12 of them or something like that to get to 38 wins. But two of three, and they didn't play that badly against Boston. Like, obviously, they started horribly and finished horribly. But they beat Brooklyn. They, you know, put up a fight against Boston, and then they took care of business at home against Minnesota. So maybe the tide's turning a little bit. So I'm trying to think. I don't know the answer. I'm not going to get this off the top of my head, so I'm just going to say it. And if it's wrong, <laughs> I don't care. Uh, they're in about the same – they're definitely in about the same position that they were before they lost 9-12. They might be in the exact same position. Like, they were no more than three or four games back of eight when they started that streak. They might have been two back or three back. Yeah, I want to say it was around, like, two, two and a half well, on they're, average. They're at like three. Four. Well, they're three, three back okay. now. So, yeah, we should They're only two in the loss column back of eight. They're three in the loss column back of nine and ten. But Orlando is eight, and they're 30 and 35. The Wizards are 26 and 37. Mm-hmm. Wizards have two fewer losses than Orlando. Uh, but because Charlotte and Miami have played fewer games than Orlando, those guys are 9 and 10, but they have 34 losses. The Wizards are technically only two back in the loss column of eight right now. They might have gone into this – they might have gone into the – so they were lost 9 out of 12. They won 2 out of 3, which means that they've lost 10 out of 14, 15. They, they might have gone into this 10 out of 15 losing stretch two back in the loss column of eight. And I think they're currently, and I know they're currently two back in the last column of eight. What a depressing conference. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know, it's incredible. They should be done at this point, right? Um, 10 to 15, I mean, Miami has been just as bad during this stretch. Charlotte has fallen off. Orlando kind of had was on a heater for a bit there, and so was Detroit. But, like, Who's going to have confidence in the Magic or the Pistons to, like, close this season strongly? Like, no one is, right? So the Wizards somehow are in this position, 
And the conference is basically shaping up to be the most attainable conference probably since like 14, 15. So four or five years. That's the last time someone made it with 38 wins. Yeah, Brooklyn did it 38 that year. Yeah, someone hasn't made it with 37 wins since I think uh, 10, 11. Um, but it's the Eastern Conference, man, as good as the top of the Eastern Conference is, and it's so much better than it's been in recent years because I think Milwaukee and Toronto are two really good teams. And then, of course, Philly and, and Indiana and Boston have, have, are, are good teams as well. It's still not that deep of a conference. And it's amazing. You know, I was looking, this is kind of random, but I was looking at the Phoenix Suns, like what they've done recently, because they have now officially missed the playoffs 10 straight years. Like four years ago, they won 48 games and didn't make the playoffs. And right this year, the Wizards could make it, or someone in the East could make it, winning 37 or 38. Could be less. Why not? Let's do, let's do it. Like, how someone get in with 35 wins? That'd be hilarious. Yeah, it's possible. Like, the NC can have 36. Like, Brooklyn's schedule is really tough. Charlotte's schedule is really tough. Whoever gets eight is not taking eight. They're just going to be handed eight on a silver platter. This is absurd and is the greatest anecdotal argument as to why the NBA should just go to 16, the top 16 teams make the playoffs as opposed to eight teams in the West. I understand the travel concerns that the league has. Like having a Miami-Golden State first-round series, Miami-Portland or something, that would suck. And then if Miami in the second round has to play the Lakers, and then in the third round has to play Denver, and then you got the final round. You're seeding them without conference. Right. Yeah. Because I'm, not, I'm not a fan of that. that. I understand that. But, like, look – never been a problem in baseball never in baseball have we and i realize that this is around longer but like so what never in baseball have we been like oh no the yankees are gonna have to play the a's in the first round of the playoffs that's terrible it's it's fine i mean the yankees almost had to go out to oakland for a wild card game this year then potentially the winner then the winner of that game would have had to go back to boston for a first round series like, you get East-West playoff matchups all the time because it's not done by East and West per, per league in, in baseball. So, like, I don't see why it's such a huge deal in the NBA that they couldn't conceivably ever do it. But, but in baseball, it's not an afterthought. I don't like the idea because of travel. I don't like the idea because I think rivalries would basically be non-existent. Although you would see, theoretically, the Celtics and Lakers can yeah, play see, more often. See, my thing is, like, you know, like but you're rivalries, the conference rivalry right, at that point. right, but rivalries in basketball are different than pretty much any other sport because in baseball rivalries are basically dependent on division, right? Like you know, the best rivalries are usually division rivals who are fighting for for a division win, like Yankees, Red Sox, obviously being the most prominent of all of those. But in basketball, all the best rivalries are like. They they transcend conferences. You got Celtics Lakers. It was Cavs Warriors for four years. That was probably the biggest rivalry in the league. Like, by the way, that's one of the things. Like everyone's like, oh, Kevin Durant ruined the NBA by joining the Warriors. He didn't ruin the NBA, but he did ruin arguably the best rivalry we've seen, maybe in sports, certainly in the NBA in a long time. 
That's I'll true. Say that because that was true. that was an amazing rivalry for like two years, mm-hmm. and then KD and Kyrie Irving had other ideas. Yeah, that's true. But like hey, in basketball, it just kind of transcends conferences to a degree. And I do think that rivalries in basketball, for whatever the reason, are more dependent on players than they are in any other sport. Like in other sports, it's the teams. Uh, in, you know, it's Steelers-Ravens. In basketball, it's it's LeBron versus KD, or Russ versus Harden. Like that's that's how all this is marketed and pumped up, right? And so, like, the rivalries tend to be the players. And so if you get, you know, LeBron versus KD in a playoff series, people are going to be like, that's awesome. By the way, how horrible would it be if the NBA, for the Wizards, if the NBA was like, yeah, we're going to start seeding uh, just by record (laughs) and not by conference. (laughs) They'd be so screwed. Well, it would be horrible for them. It would be great for a lot of people who are thirsty for Zion. Yeah. Because, Because then the Wizards would be getting into the lottery... I, I tweeted out that today was a good day for the Wizards' playoff hopes because they won. Uh, Charlotte lost. Orlando lost to Cleveland. And Detroit... See, well, no one has confidence in the Magic. <laughs> <laughs> De- Detroit is... Well, the Magic are so weird. They've won 8 of 11. They've beaten, like, the Bucks. They've beaten... To the Raptors beating all these great teams that won 8 and 11. The three teams they've lost to are the Knicks, the Cavs, and I think the Suns. Wow. Like another just horrendous tanking team. I forget which one. Uh, or the Bulls. Knicks, Cavs, Bulls. Super weird. Uh, I don't even remember what I was going to say. Oh, right. I tweeted that out and somebody came at me and said that I was towing the company line. No, <laughs> it is a good day for their player hubs. The implication is not that their playoff hopes is the is the best thing that they should be prioritizing for their future. It's just a good day for their playoff hopes. Right. And that's it. By the uh, way, given the East is so bad and the West is so much better, it's incredible the range of draft picks that the Wizards could get. Because last I checked, they were like seventh best odds to get the number one overall pick, right? Mm-hmm. And that put them, I think, at like 9%. And if they get to six, like the Grizzlies are, if you're looking down instead of up, the Grizzlies are the team separating them between the six best odds. Six best odds are give you a 10% chance of getting the number one pick. Now, the flip side of that is they are like close enough to sniff the playoffs. And if they get into the playoffs and lose in the first round, they would pick 15th like they did last year. So they basically, at this point, could pick anywhere in the top half of the draft, 1 through 15. Yeah. Well, so what's what's crazy is that the disparity is so large in the sense of, like, so, like, the Lakers are pushing to make the playoffs, right, in the West, or Sacramento, even better example. Sacramento is 9 in the West right now. I don't think they're getting in. They might not. Yeah. I don't think so either. The Clippers are like, like the Clippers traded Tobias Harris, but they're still good. Yeah, I like watching Sacramento though; they're fun as hell. Oh yeah, but like so, Sacramento is trying to get into is trying to get in. They would like to make the playoffs, and if they miss the playoffs, so if they get in, they're 15, probably, and if they don't get in, they're going to be 14. Mm-hmm. They're going to have the best record of the team that doesn't make the playoffs. So it's not that big of a deal. Like yeah, you're it's it's nice to be in the lottery, kind of get a chance at it. At a top pick, but like realistically, probably not. Mm-hmm. Go for the playoffs. It's either going to be 14 or it's going to be 15. There's an 
in the, except for those minuscule odds that it might not be. If the Wizards don't make the playoffs, it's not like they're 14. Like, whoever misses the playoffs and finishes ninth in the East is going to be behind, potentially. Like, you could end up being behind Sacramento, the Lakers, New Orleans, Dallas. Like, you could end up dropping and being, like, technically Atlanta. Yeah. They've got Dallas' pick. Oh, yeah, yeah. true. You could, you could end up being, like, 10. Mm-hmm. Because the West is so much deeper than the East. It, it's... It's such a huge disparity, and that's the number one argument for no, stay away from the playoffs, Wizards. You've got a chance for potentially really nice lottery positioning, um, and it's totally reasonable opinion. But the Wizards want to make the playoffs. Uh, we should talk about this game for a couple minutes. Yeah. We haven't talked about this game at all. Um, Speaking of 15th overall picks, there's your, there's your <laughs> Three straight games at 10-plus minutes for Troy Brown after we peppered Scott Brooks with <laughs> questions about Troy, and he got frustrated with us a week ago. And then uh, he started playing him. He started playing him. He had 10, 10 plus minutes in three straight games, as you pointed out. First Only time. Two, yeah, first time of his career. Only two points for him tonight, but five assists. He was running the break. He played in the second half over Chase and Randall, and Scott Brooks said after the game he thinks it would be more as a secondary ball handler, and that's how he likes to use him. I know in conversations with me before, he's compared Troy to a saddle type of ball handler where he thinks he can play on the ball, play off the ball. I, I think Troy Brown looks pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Like, the game doesn't look too fast for him, which is the number one concern that you might have with a rookie. He he reads passing lanes pretty well. He's like he'll get hung up on screens defensively. I think that's his biggest problem right now, which is fine. He's nineteen, but like he seems to be reading stuff pretty well, which is really big for them. That's really important. Right. I don't know if he's ever going to be like a top shelf scorer, but you can see even at nineteen years old, the instincts are there rebounding wise and passing wise. Like he was a really good rebounder. In college, he averaged like seven rebounds a game at six seven. You know, he wasn't the the power forward or the center at Oregon. Uh, he's a really good passer, and you know, I've written recently. I talked to him about uh, learning the point guard position, and we've seen in recent games that even when he's on the floor with Chase and Randall, he's done a lot of the the ball handling and running the offense responsibilities. I think he's much more gifted passer than a lot of guys at his size because he played point guard in high school. And I've wondered, and, I've, and it, it, we've seen this kind of happen in recent games, is like how much point guard is he going to play, and does John Wall's injury affect like the trajectory of his career in that regard? Because we know that they want him to learn the point guard position. Ernie Grunfeld has said it. Scott Brooks has said it. You mentioned he's going to play more positions, kind of like Sadoransky. But think about in, in those terms. Like John Wall may miss all of next season. They only have so much room to work with on their roster, even if they re-sign Thomas Sadoransky, which they would like to do. If Troy Brown could learn point guard and be a competent point guard or primary ball handler sooner than later, that would help them tremendously, right? And I think he's shown the ability to pass at a high level. I think we've seen an adjustment throughout this year where a lot of the passes that he was throwing that probably would he'd get away with in college, he's not getting away with, so he's had to kind of adjust there. He told me that the biggest thing he's had to do is not jump when he passes. He's got to keep his feet on the ground. But he's not making the same turnovers that we saw even a few weeks ago. So I think he's a quick learner. And this is probably a point that we probably should have reached weeks ago, if not months ago, where he would have a role in the rotation. 
but I think he might actually have a role in the rotation, you know, once and for all. Uh, you know, we're entering the we're in the final quarter of the season. It took long enough, but I think he's there. Yeah, yeah, I think that's. I mean, look, it's not like he's been given an opportunity, and it's possible he plays himself out of it because he's 19 years old. 19 year olds, not just in basketball but in life, they're not known for their consistency. <laughs> but. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he's certainly not playing himself out of it right now. He was pretty solid tonight. And I thought Scott said something interesting post-game when he talked about how you can't give a player minutes just for the sake of it. can't give a young player minutes for the sake of giving a young player minutes. And he said, that's how you lose a team. You have to – that guy has to earn it. And he was talking about Troy Brown when he said it. I just thought the implication of that was interesting. I mean, you basically said Troy Brown isn't earning it early in the year. And I asked him what to, I, I asked him follow up on that. Like, how do you toe the line of like the team knows that a guy earns it as opposed to you're just giving it to him? Um, the implication of my question being you guys have a losing record and you're now playing the young guys more. How do you do that? And he said, well, it's 60 games and they can see. Mm-hmm. So I wonder how much of. Troy Brown not playing early in the year after those comments from Scott Brooks is just him not wanting other vets to come in and see, like, okay, he's just going to play the young guys. I guess I'll turn off, you know? Yeah, and this is something that I know a lot of fans have picked up on, but when they hired Scott Brooks, a lot of us expected there to be a big change from Randy Whitman. And one thing that Randy Whitman was known for was not playing young players. Otto Porter, though he battled some injuries as a rookie, basically didn't see the floor. Kelly Oubre was healthy as a rookie, didn't see the floor. Scott Brooks, because he came over from Oklahoma City and had such a strong track record developing players, the expectation from a lot of people was that he was going to rely on younger players and know the right buttons to push and know you know, what type of opportunity to, get, to give a guy to make sure that he can de- develop. And Troy Brown has kind of turned that on uh, upside down because Scott Brooks hasn't been relying on him. Now, it's only been three quarters of his first season. Uh, Troy Brown obviously is kind of raw in certain regards. Like, he's not a very good shooter, although I think his shot is improving, as you see in go-go games and at practice. Um, but Scott Brooks has been very apprehensive to rely on his youngest player and just throw him out there. So I think that's kind of an interesting thing that we're learning about Scott Brooks that maybe a lot of us didn't expect. But Troy Brown, I think it was only a matter of time, was going to force the issue because he does do a lot of things and he well, and he does things well that the Wizards have problems with. Like I said, he's a good rebounder for his position. He's a willing passer who will make the extra pass. And though he's going to make some mistakes and, you know, you know, could be overmatched sometimes defensively. He's a committed defender and pretty smart defender. Like he doesn't really make big gam- take big gambles defensively. So I've I thought all year, and I know you thought all year that like at certain times it, it made sense to play Troy Brown, and it seems like we finally arrived at that point. You know what I wonder? What's that? I wonder what they're gonna. This is me changing the topic. I wonder what they're gonna do with Jabari Parker. Like. Uh, like this, this summer. Oh, I, I mean, I really I mean, obviously, like, obviously they have to decline the team off. Oh well, that's not what I'm implying. They, no kidding. <laughs> do they keep him? Yeah, I like, wonder what they're gonna do. Like, and look, if that's gonna come down to, in part, who's running the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I just, I wonder, 
what is going to happen because they traded for him basically saying this is an audition. He's been okay. Like, he's been okay. I don't know how much his game fits in in some ways, but, like, on a night like tonight, who's good tonight? He attacked well. He attacked well when he was off the ball, too. He was he was cutting towards the hoop and getting himself open. And um, I thought he did a good job of affecting shots at the rim tonight. I know that sounds ridiculous because they gave up 84 points in the paint. Which is wild. But I saw a few plays where I was like, why does Jabari Parker do that more often? He's got like long arms. He's he's got pretty quick hands. Like, I think he could he could block a few sh- more shots because you don't get paid to play defense. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's exactly why. If you wonder why doesn't he do it more often, he is the player who literally said you don't get paid to play defense. That's the answer. Right. He told us the answer. Right. And <laughs> that was you know I looked that up recently because I cited it in an article. It was in like a radio interview. Like, he was on the phone, like, just talking to some radio station in Milwaukee, or it must have been in Chicago. I think it was in Chicago, and he dropped that line. It wasn't, like, in a one-on-one with some reporter he knew. I was kind of just surprised by the source. Because usually when a player goes on a radio interview, they don't usually know the the radio guy that much, Mm -hmm. or that well. And they just kind of stick to cliches, and it doesn't get anywhere. But, yeah, that's where he dropped that line. You don't get paid to play defense. It's awesome. I love the honesty. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> it's such a funny quote. And I think it's no secret why the Wizards have gotten even worse defensively since they made those trades. Oh, yeah. They gave up 135 points tonight. They, scored, they, scored, oh, they scored 135 points. Yeah, they still gave up 121. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, they weren't good defensively. Yeah, they weren't good defensively. They yeah. gave up 84 points in the paint. They gave up 52 points in the paint in the first, in the first half. And Towns just killed them. I mean, look, Towns is – Towns is amazing. He is. He's, we were talking about in the game. His I crossover to the left was, like, he's probably the only guy in the NBA at that size who could do that. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about during the game. He is, uh, I think he's the most complete offensive big man in the NBA. I think so, too. Because, I mean, he's better off the dribble than Anthony Davis, right? And he's a better three-point shooter. And he's a better three-point shooter than Joel Embiid. You know, maybe he isn't. And then Jokic. Jokic, yeah, Jokic, uh, this, but he doesn't score a ton. He's a very capable scorer, mm-hmm. but he's not putting up like 25 a game. Right. And But his passing is amazing. But, but Towns is a good passer, too. Towns is a very good passer. But he can score at all three levels, and he's 23 years old. 23. He could be. He could become – he's already great. Mm-hmm. But he could he's already become, All-NBA. He could win the MVP someday. Yeah, he could. That wouldn't be surprising. Mm-hmm. He could. He's only 23. He's wild. He, what is he this year? 20, 25, and 12? Like, he's he is wildly talented. I was and watching this game. is so smooth, too. Oh, yeah. Like, the way he gets the ball at the three-point line, goes two dribbles or sometimes one dribble and just goes right at the rim. And the way he uses the glass in those penetration moments, like, God, he's so skilled and he's so fluid. He's just he's awesome. He's a great shooter. He's so good in the post. The Wizards were doubling him in the post, like hard doubling him in the post the second he touched the ball, and it just wasn't working because he's such a good passer. Like, the thing with Embiid is sometimes you double Embiid, and Embiid is so great, but sometimes you double Embiid, and it can work because he can be turnover prone, and he's not an amazing – He's not like an amazing passer. 
and he's gotten a lot better at working out of double teams. But with Towns, if you're going to double him, like, he's going to find dudes, and he may not find the guy who's going to make the shot. But, like, if the offense is flowing, somebody will be open, usually along the three-point line. And just having him post is an amazing way to create threes. And when he's hot, it's like... You just you don't you can't defend him. You have to pick your poison. Are you going to double him and try to force other guys, you know, to have to kill you, or are you going to let him just just destroy dudes one on one? He was he had he had twenty twenty eight ten and seven tonight, which is honestly not that different from his season averages, uh, but like he was he's just great. Well, the thing about it is he didn't score in his first seven minutes tonight, so all of that was done in like. Um, you know, a pretty short period of time. And he might have one of the best hook shots in the NBA. Like, he can spin either way and drop it in. And his release on threes is very effortless and very quick. Like, I was watching him warm up before the game, and he's just, like, knocking down, like, five threes in a row, just, like, barely flicking his wrist. It's just, like, it just doesn't seem like a 23-year-old center should be able to do that, but he can. Yeah. He's seven. He's a legit seven-footer. And he's shooting 41% from three over his last two years. Like, <laughs> on like four attempts a game. Like, mm-hmm. he's just, he's really a perfect offensive big man. Yeah. He's perfect. I mean, like, obviously there's a lot of natural talent that goes into it, but he must be a relentless worker to, like, be at 23 and not have very many holes, if any, in his game, at least offensively. Like, obviously, I think... People would like him to be a better rim protector. Like, he blocks some shots. Yeah, and pick and roll defender. I mean, that's where yeah. the weaknesses. Right, those are his weaknesses. But he's 23, and he's basically, he's got very few weaknesses. So he, he must be someone... I respect the athletes in sports that, like, can do everything, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I, I Francisco Lindor is my favorite baseball player. He's Because awesome. he does everything. So, like, clearly the attention to detail and the amount of effort he puts into working on his game is got to be unrivaled because you don't just, like, wake up and have those skills. Like, you have the natural ability, but you have to develop those skills. So Towns, he must he must be one of the hardest workers in the NBA, I would imagine. Yeah. that's Offensively, that's, at least. Yeah. I mean, his, you're right, because it's not just natural ability with him. His, like, skill set is so refined now. And if he doesn't it's, work hard, then it's, it's like, unfair. Yeah. <laughs> um, plug your stuff before we go. Yeah, you can find my stuff at uh, NBCSportsWashington.com, uh, on Twitter, at ChaseHughesNBCS. By the way, we didn't talk about Bryce Harper. You said we were going to talk about Bryce Harper. Oh, we didn't talk about Bryce Harper. I know Harper. it's a Wizards podcast. Yeah. You want to talk about Bryce for two minutes? Yeah. Let's talk about Bryce Harper. Yeah. You guys can turn it off if you don't care about baseball. <laughs> I guess you can turn it off no matter what, even if you do care about baseball. I can tie it into the Wizards, by the way. Tie Bryce Harper into the Wizards. Go. So, Chase used to cover the Nationals, by the way. Yes, I used to cover the Nationals. So, I will say this, and it's not a perfect parallel because of the salary cap structure in the NBA and how you can pay your own players more money. But the Nationals are, by all accounts, a well-run organization, and they just lost the biggest superstar they've ever had, right? Probably the the biggest star athlete in town, Bryce Harper, even though Alex Ovechkin's the best athlete in town. He was the guy, and they couldn't keep him. The Wizards, as much heat as their front office has gotten, and especially if you look in the M- around the NBA and all these guys are requesting trades and trying to leave, somehow they've convinced two super, like all-star players, John Wall and Bradley Beal, to be like 
among the most loyal athletes in sports. And I don't know, like, how much credit they deserve because at the end of the day, it's like, if you're paying a guy super max, I think it's like 60 more million dollars you can give someone. So it's it, keep, take this with a grain of salt when he's talking about loyalty. But Bradley Beal the other day literally said that he wants to die in a Wizards jersey. <laughs> like, like, I know you got similar quotes. I got similar quotes in our one-on-one, and it was like, as they were released in stories, it was like, oh, Bradley Beal's really serious. We, we heard the Q&A with Molly Karam. It's like, he yeah. wants to stay in Washington. Tells me he would basically never, you know, request a trade. He gave great quotes to you, and it turns out he had said, like, it was, it just like, it kept it getting escalating. Yeah, yeah, it kept escalating. And by the time we heard the Yahoo quote, it was like, who has ever said that they want to what's, die? What's going to be? What's going to be the one after that? Is he gonna like yeah. describe what he wants after death? Yeah, right. <laughs> bury me. I don't want to yeah. just die in the jersey. Bury. Yeah. I want to be. I want to die in. A, I want to be buried in a wizard's coffin. That's right. Don't I'm don't doing. don't cremate me because that would mean burning the jersey that I'm wearing when I died. I, w- I want G Wiz to ha- deliver a <laughs> eulogy at my uh, funeral. <laughs> That's how a you e- a eulogy Wiz. Yeah, yeah, eulogy Wiz. There you go. There you go. I. That's that is true, actually. It is funny that in the age of like, and it's not like the Wizards are winning like crazy, no. and so they gotta stay. That is true. I think they, I don't know. I think they know how to treat these guys. Like they they know how to treat them. Like that's what the like if you ask someone in the front office about that, they'll be like, we treat them right. You know, we we're honest with them. We tell them what we want from them, and and obviously they've made some concessions. I think some people would say that they've coddled John Wall and some other stars over the years. But whatever they've done, it's worked to a degree that we've ne- probably never seen it work with anyone else. And with two guys, because John Wall has said some pretty, like, detailed comments over the years about how he wants to be, remain a wizard for the rest of his career. Like, they've, they've done it with two guys. That is true. It's a good point. Mm-hmm. It's worth noting. You're right. You're so right. that's how I tie Bryce Harper into Yeah. No, it works. Hey. If somebody offered Bradley Beal 13 years and $330 million, <laughs> he might just take it. Although Bryce Harper, on average annual value, Bryce Harper... Here's another making, way to tie this into the Wizards. Bryce Harper is making about $17 million less than John Wall. Because uh, John Wall is about 170 over four years, which is... Average annual value. Oh, you're about saying about forty-two. Okay. I thought you were talking about like next year. No, no, and Harper yeah. is about and Harper is about twenty-five per. Yeah. Right. What's crazy is there's so much more money in baseball, right? Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. And we all know he could have taken forty-five mil a year with the Dodgers. He's going to be making twenty-five point four million. That's like less than Otto Porter, Bradley Beal, John Wall will be making next year. Right? He's making less than Otto Porter, I know. Yeah, what, $25.4 million, what is that in the NBA? That's like a, like a third option, right? Yeah, I mean, it's what Otto got. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a little less than a max extension for someone who's been in the league for seven or fewer years. Because if you next year the salary cap projects at one oh nine and so a max extension would start for someone who's been like a off a rookie deal, a max extension would start at about twenty seven million. Mm-hmm. It would. So yeah, about twenty twenty seven twenty seven three is what the starting number would be if it's one oh nine. So so yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like $2 million less 
than that. So it would be like, like it's like a little less than like Porzingis is going to get. I know. I mean, Bryce Harper, I know he got the 330, but I feel like the whole... It's like what Steven Adams makes. It's like what yeah. Steven Adams makes. It was botched. Like, he, he, if he was making 45 mil, like a 330, I know a lot of NBA players tweeted about that number. Like Troy Brown, Bradley Beal, and Sam Decker. It was big enough to get, like, their attention, you know? Because 13 years is so jarring. It's, it's insane. But if you're making 45 million, that's like what, like, Cristiano Ronaldo makes. Like, that's what, like, the top athletes in the world make. And it's literally, like, double what he's going to be making. So I just don't get it. Like, obviously, the 330 is cool, but Mike Trout's going to pass that in, like, you know, 10 months or whenever he gets his next contract. And, yeah, he's making auto-porter money. Yeah. Dodgers, Dodgers offered him 180 for four years. Also, like, Dodgers would be so good. It's not even like it's 180 four years for some crap team in a crap city. You yeah. can be in L.A. and play for the Dodgers. and have been in the World Series two straight years. Yeah, just, like, go play for an awesome team. Do By it. the way, um, it's kind of dawned on me, this just the fallout of the Harper contract, that, like, the top number for your total guaranteed money in a contract doesn't really matter in the NBA, right? Like, no. Like, who has – I think I think Steph Curry's got the biggest deal. John Wall has one of the biggest because deals. Because Steph Curry's at, like, 206 or 207, mm-hmm. right, for his next deal? Yeah. And then it'll be broken this summer because yeah. the cap rises every year. Right. And your max contract is just a percentage of the cap. So, like, someone will get a five-year deal – Five-year max this summer. Some ten-plus veteran will get a five-year max. Kawhi or whomever. I think it's the average annual value that guys care about more. Right? Yeah, yeah. But also, like, I feel like guys don't even care about it as much because, like, most NBA contracts are pre-negotiated. Like, they're just like you, don't you either get, need an agent, right? Yeah, you either get a max, or you get a mid-level, or you get a minimum. Or you get a taxpayer mid-level, or you get a room exception, or you get a biannual exception. It's like you get one of those. and Everything is slotted, basically. Yeah, it's very rare you see somebody get $13 million a year, uh, especially if it's not somebody who's, like, re-signing with bird rights. Like, maybe you see, like, like Marcus Smart last year gets four for 52. He's re-signing for bird rights. Probably isn't going to get four for 52, from another team, mm-hmm. um, and so like yeah, it's all it's all pre-negotiated stuff, you know. Uh, Thirty-five we did minutes, it. we did it. We got Bryce Harper into your podcast. We did it organically. <laughs> yeah, great transition. Uh, subscribe to Wizards After Dark, please. I beg of you, subscribe to Wizards After Dark. Tell your friends about Wizards <laughs> After Dark. Tell them to subscribe to Wizards After Dark. Give us five stars on iTunes. Leave a nice review. I'll be back on Wednesday, which is the next time the Wizards play. They've got Dallas in Washington, D.C. Uh, I'm not going on their road trip this weekend, but there will be Wizards After Dark anyway. Uh, I will be at the Dallas game, which is in D.C., and I'll be podcasting after that one, probably with a guest. I'll talk to you guys then.